Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. As usual, from the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Negroni. I'm the film editor for the young folks, and I'm also a film critic for other websites like Awards Watch, like The Spool, you know it. From Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he's a pop culture writer for a website you might have heard of called Cinema Blend. That's cinemablend.com. Twill Ashton. Hey, bada bing, gabagool. All That's the right. Sopranos yeah. phrases, because we're talking, is that the main review this week, Many Saints Newark? No, we're talking about Venom, Let There mm. Be Carnage, and then Multisanti of Newark. Yeah. Many Saints of Newark. Indeed. We're going to talk about both those movies today. It's going to be amazing. Mm. Best episode of Cinemaholics ever? Uh, well, well, you know, we're, we're early on. Uh, <laughs> anything is possible. It's like... The, two movies that just do not go together it's like peanut butter and like pesto or something i don't know i but guess we'll make it happen i should have done like an italian thing huh pesto italian actually yeah like pesto's italian never mind great peanut butter and ragu anyway so we're sure. <laughs> both those movies uh but yeah venom let there be carnage it's the big movie this week i mean it's the big money earner many saints of newark that's on hbo max that's the big sopranos thing we're gonna that's right will ash and i are gonna talk about the sopranos you asked you sent us the emails we got to it i hope i I would love to know if there were emails i'd be very surprised if that was the case but i wonder uh, how many of our listeners like sopranos i'd I'd like to get a head count but surely quite a few i mean it's a big show so Mm -hmm. well i guess we'll find out yeah but yeah, if you want to find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive, it's all on Cinemaholics.com. And you want to do that because I highly recommend listening to our Venom episode from 2018 if you're so inclined. Well, here's what you should do. You should listen to this review, right? Because you you probably already listened to the Venom episode. You're like, guys, I <laughs> come on. I already, I already listened back. You know, it's been three years. Mm-hmm. I remember every word. But you might want to revisit after you listen to our thoughts here and be like, oh, man, how does it compare? Yeah. How does it compare? That's right, because Will knows I listened to it. <laughs> it's a time capsule. It's a weird time capsule. It's like digging into the past. It's like going to your childhood bedroom. Your parents kept it as is. I mean, I've, that's never happened for me because my parents, you know, they, they didn't care. They were just like, you don't, you know. You're out the door. You, you stopped having a room at 18, so. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was that back in our Maverick days when we did Venom, the first one? Maverick's in the show. Yeah. That was back in the days when our reviews were way shorter, like more really? consistently shorter. I was listening, to, I think because there's three of us, right? So it yes. feels shorter because the three of us each say fewer things, but in the same amount of time, right? Nowadays, it's just like, it's spitfire. I mean, I, I go all out. You throw the, you get the barbs, you know, I'm punching back and then you mm. got the, you're kicking and screaming and it's just, it's, it's mono a mono. Yeah. Now. Well. If I recall correctly, uh, you were very negative on the first Venom film. Um, I was. Oh, we're going to talk about it. We're gonna, yes. we're, I got to. I, I got to put a pin on that because we're going to okay. talk about all things Venom coming yes. up, and then we're going to talk. I know many cents in New York. That's going to be a big convo because you're a big. You know, you just watched all the Sopranos. It's going to be a whole thing. Yes. First, mm-hmm. though, off topics, and yeah. oh, I never finished the thing. I got to finish the thing. So I already told you about cinemaholics.com, the website, best website yes. on the internet, according to like my mom and mm. the merch page is on there. So you can check out the merch, merch page. Yeah. Everyone loves merch. Yeah. And you know, shirts, hoodies, 
you know, shot yeah. glasses, whatever you like, mm. but with the Cinemaholics logo, the classic logo, Hell yeah. of course. Yeah. Uh, not the new logo yet. Maybe someday. Maybe. And then our email, because we always want to reach out, put the feelers out. Maybe you've been waiting. Maybe you're like, uh, I have a couple things to get off my chest. A couple things I want the Cinemaholics to get to, but I was waiting for the Venom episode. Hmm. This is the one. I wanted to ask him some Sopranos questions. Uh, yes. Specifically for Will, because he's the one who watched the show. Uh, this is the times. Yeah. Hmm. Cinemaholics podcast at gmail.com. I'll say it again. Cinemaholics podcast at gmail.com. Say hello. Just send an email. Just be like, hi, that's it. That's all you have hello. to say. We just want to know you're there. Yeah. And if you'd like to support our show, if you're like, well, guys, I don't want to just talk to you. I want to, I want to give you money. Let's do it. Uh, nice. Patreon.com slash cinemaholics. That's where you can put your money where your well, mouth apparently is. You know what they say, John? Money talks. <laughs> Money, money talks. talks. Yes, there you go. Well, we are we money because we talk a lot. We've been doing this podcast for years. We talk yeah. how many hours we put in? A lot. We've put in an astronomical amount of hours talking about movies that mostly people have forgotten. And a few very popular films that we've also That's discussed. That's true. Yeah. That's true. One of these days I want to do like maybe because we're due for a Q&A. We're due for an AMA, all that fun stuff. We got to We got to have a convo with the list the hardcore fan listeners. Be like, all right. You guys have asked. Now we're going to answer. What are the most popular episodes of Cinemaholics of all time? Now that's a conversation. <laughs> we can get into some old movies, mm. uh, old in quotes. But yeah, do all that stuff whenever you can. Links to everything. It's all in the show notes. You know it. Off topics, though. I was getting to this earlier. Here we go. We were just talking about two movies this week. We had a busy weekend, but there were other movies that came out. We didn't prioritize them. We apologize. There was... A documentary it was like the Jesus music documentary. Didn't watch it. It hit, I think, in around a thousand theaters. Did really well for the like, you know, kind of like semi wide release that it had because it's it's one of those movies. You know, it's for Christian audiences, so like it's targeted. They're like, we're gonna put this in this like area where maybe there's like it's like a you know a big an evangelical college is right there. Kids are gonna love it. They're gonna line up around the block to watch this Jesus music documentary. I think it's about like the history origins of like Christian rock basically. Now, Will, I know that's your favorite genre of music. Uh, but so I'm surprised that you didn't watch the Jesus music documentary. What, what happened? Did you get sick? I did see the trailer for this actually weirdly before, uh, the night house, um, which is not a film I expected to see this trailer for, let alone see the trailer at all. Hey, Christians love horror movies. That's a whole topic of conversation that we can get into someday. Yeah. But I mean, like, I mean, Night House, as far as I can recall, is in a film with religious or spiritual uh, themes. So true. Mm, I'll de- I will debate you on this one, not debate you, but kind of give my side of that. But go ahead. Okay. But um, in any case, yeah, Jesus music. I mean, I don't know. Sure, it's fine. It just didn't seem like my my thing, so I didn't feel any uh, strong urge to see it personally. No, it's too bad. It's too bad. So I guess, listeners, you heard it here first. We're not going to do a bonus episode. Uh, by the way, if you don't know already, I forgot to mention this. We did our review of No Time to Die a bit early because it came out in the UK, so we were both able to see it. So that episode's already mm-hmm. in the feed. If you're kind of like Venom, many saints of Newark, what about James Bond? That's who I care about. Well, you should listen to this episode, too. But hey, that's also available. So there you go. Yeah. There you go. Good episode. Yeah, I like that. Good conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got a little personal that episode, but that's enough. Yeah. 
Yeah. Let's get into that. There were sure. two other movies that I thought were worth bringing up that were out. I mean, this was the week that were, there were like two big shows that people were talking about. Squid Game, which is now like what the biggest Netflix show ever. Everyone's talking about it. It's like the South yeah. Korean Hunger Games thing. I haven't seen it. Well, how many episodes did you watch? All of them? I haven't watched any of it, but I have heard a decent bit about it on Twitter. I'm seeing memes. That's how you know things are going down with this show. Sure. Well, that's wasn't that show written like 10 years ago and then it finally got made and then it became this big I hit i don't know anything about it i don't That's even know heard. like what the squid part is i don't want to get spoiled don't email don't us know. the spoilers for squid game please sure i'll field it all to will if i see an email with the subject line okay but yeah there was that and then there's also midnight mass people are like midnight mass i either hear that it's like an amazing show like you can't miss it or skip it it sucks so i don't know what to do i've heard Mostly good things. The only person I've heard say, oh, skip it, is that Vox writer. But then I saw a bunch of people I heard that getting from a few people. mad at the Vox writer for saying that. Oh, great. It's another whole thing. I don't have time for this. I started Midnight Mass. I will say that. Okay. I watched like the first 15 minutes, couldn't get into it. I was like, ah, no thanks. But what are you going to do? I might get to it eventually. I don't know. I feel like this has been the same thing with like the haunting of Hill house and the, the blind manor. It's like that stuff. Like, I don't think it's for me. There's something that came out. Will Ashton in entertainment form. That isn't for me. What do I do? Well, you sound like the Vox writer. Uh, <laughs> that was, that was actually the, the theme of their piece. I believe. Maybe I am the Vox writer and you just didn't know. I don't know which Vox writer is. I remember seeing the headline, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know either. Anyway, that's there's that. There's those two big series. So those those have been dominating the conversation. I think Lost in the Shuffle. I mean, Venom was a big deal. I've seen some people talking about Many Saints. Not a lot. I've seen more people like at outlets talking about Many Saints, not like the Internet, you know, Internet and, you know, all caps. But th- there were two movies that kind of just, whoa, people just didn't really get into. I mean, well, there's The Guilty. And The Guilty, it's popular on Netflix. It's in like the top 10 because it's a Netflix mid-budget movie that your dad's going to watch. It's amazing to me that we're not talking about this. I mean, The Guilty, it stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Riley Keough, and it's directed by Antoine Fuqua. I mean, this is like the kind of movie that I think in like a different week would have been our featured review, but neither of us watched it. And it also premiered at TIFF. It had all kinds of stuff like leading up to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and the original was supposed to be uh, quite good. I haven't seen it, but I've heard it's quite good. Yeah, Danish film, right? Yeah. Um, it's also called The Guilty from a few years ago. Yeah. And I've heard it's good. Maybe we should just watch that. Oh, and I think um, you, I should I should mention this. Okay, so you, the only, as far as I understand, it's like a 911 operator or something. You see Jake Gyllenhaal, but it's a bottle episode kind of thing. You hear mm-hmm. the voices of like Riley Keough and like Paul Dano. And I think um, Ethan Hawke, maybe? I want to say I heard Ethan I don't Hawke. know. Was a character in this? I don't know either. I didn't watch it. But that's the thing. Is like people are like this. This movie came out, and apparently it's just okay. Like it's just you know that's fine. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, has Antoine Fuqua really nailed a film? Like, has he gotten anything good outside of uh, Training Day mm-hmm. out in the past like ten or twenty years? People like years? Olympus has fallen. I mean, I thought that was okay. I like eh. Shooter. You did that right, and um, I like Shooter's um, fine. Not great. You know, I, yeah, Shooter was fine. It was totally fine. It was like, yeah, it wasn't like blow your socks off or anything. Um, I mean, I'm not talking like a hit. Mm-hmm. Like I'm talking like a decent to good film. I like Southpaw. 
I like nah. Southpaw. I know. You go ahead, say your your thing. Um, I really like Southpaw. And I, I thought Magnificent Seven, the remake, was like super average. Yeah. I thought the I thought the Equalizer movies were okay. You did yeah, those, right? Both of them? Yeah, the first one was all right. I mean, I guess. I mean, it's like... I, I don't remember much of the second one, but um, I think his most recent film, didn't he do that Paramount Plus one that everyone hated called Infinite? Yes, Infinite, which I don't think With either of us saw or talked about. It happened again. He did two movies. Will Ashton, he did two movies straight to streaming in 2021, the year of our Lord, and we didn't do either one. We're being disrespectful to Antoine Fuqua. You don't agree? No, I mean, I was looking up his filmography to see if we forgot anything. Because, I mean, I'll give the man credit. He keeps himself very busy. And he does a lot of things. So I was trying to see yeah. if there was something else that we that came out recently that we haven't seen or I'm forgetting about. Well, the two the two movies I think people say is like, this one's better, this one's better. Training Day. I mean, that's the obvious one. I think most people will say Training Day. Tears of the Sun. I know Tears of the Sun has its fans. I'm a King Arthur guy. I love me some King mm-hmm. Arthur. I'd still say Training Day is the best. Where do you stand since we're on the Fuqua um, tangent? Well, I never saw all of Tears of the Sun. Good uh, movie, I, man. I would Good definitely. Movie. I forget. Yeah. Okay. I would definitely put Training Day above King Arthur. I'd say Training Day probably aged better compared to Tears of the Sun because that's like like the seal team six one with uh um bruce willis so i bet that probably i would watch today and be kind of like yeah training day though i bet that is still as good as ever so i'm just gonna you know even though i know that's like david air and back in pre yeah like david airs kind of fall from grace but you know what are you gonna do sure you didn't like king arthur 2004 no, king arthur I oh like come that. on Not that's a, a fun movie fun yeah. and cool and I don't think it was cool or fun. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess I guess Shooter is like his second best film. I like that one. Apparently, I'm the Antoine Fuqua fan. I'm just kind of like, I like this and this and this. And you're just like, I can't be bothered. <laughs> yeah, I wish I liked him more because he's a Pittsburgh guy. So and Southpaw was filmed in Pittsburgh as well and has Jake Gyllenhaal. So it's like that was what I remember one I walked out pretty disappointed by. I'm glad there's still, huh. you know, him and Jake Gyllenhaal are are good friends and so working together and stuff with the guilty but um yeah i don't know but he's doing that will smith mm. will be next i think uh emancipation yeah for your uh yeah yeah for your company my company i work for apple yes i don't work for apple tv i don't make tv shows yet yeah when i do you'll know it um but okay that's our antoine fuqua segment <laughs> that's all to say that guilty's on netflix now people are watching it the other movie that people are just sort of like i don't care is the Adams Family 2, to a greater extent. Because I think like The Guilty, it's getting okay reviews. I think on Rotten Tomatoes, it was like not certified fresh, but like more people liked it than not. Sure. But, wow, Adams Family? Yikes, 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. No one Oof. no one gives an F or a, a D. I should have switched or that. A, a, dang. D, a D or an F. A dang a heck or a gosh darn. Be right. About Adam's Family 2, 23%. So I was supposed to see Adam's Family 2. The studio was just like, John, we're going to send you a link. You're going to watch Adam's Family 2. You don't have to come to a screening. I don't think there even was a screening in San Francisco. As far as I know, there might have been. But they were just like, you can watch this from home. And I was like, cool, let's do it. And then they never sent the link. And I'm going to be honest with you, Will Ashton, I didn't follow up. I was just like, you know what? What's meant to be was meant to be. I'm good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I didn't watch it. 
I mean, I was telling you, I mean, if you had seen it, I would take the bullet and uh, see it as well, just so we could talk about it. But I had no interest in seeing this thing. I saw the well, I other see the first. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that one. And I thought that was enough. I found that movie <laughs> to be an eyesore and a bore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just uh, this is MGM, and yeah. I just I I love Adam's Family. I really do. The property, I love these characters. Yeah, the, the the property. Like, I like the live action a lot. I like the classic show. Mm-hmm. I like the concept. I mean, these movies should rule. And they don't, apparently. I mean, again, I haven't seen them. Maybe I would watch them and this would be like my King Arthur moment. I don't know. But as it stands, I, 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 what, I've seen the trailers. That's the thing. It's like I've seen the sense of humor that these movies have and they're employing. And I'm just like, this isn't Adam's Family. This is like Illumination, Adam's Family. I know it's not Illumination. Yeah. I get that vibe. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, gives me, it gives me like Coattail Transylvania vibes, which I know a lot of people like. Yeah. So I'm not... I'm not I'm I'm in the minority, I guess, and thinking the Hotel Transylvania movies are also kind of mediocre. But um, the first one, it overstayed its welcome. I mean, the first one, it's like cool, yeah. and uh, like actually, it kept going. <laughs> I thought the like, third wait. one was the the best of the three. Really, um, I thought yeah, I I they're all blurred to me at this point. I just I've seen I think all of them, but I've just again, well, like, how do you? I don't know. Well, the third one was the one that was most in the vein of like Getty Trap. Koski is that how you pronounce his name? Genny Genny Tartakovsky, yeah. Dexter's Lab, Powerpuff right. Girls, Samurai Jack, the legend, the man. right? Because that one was the one that, like, for the most part, kind of discarded the story and just had it was about the jokes. It was favoring the jokes and the the sight gags. Was it the stuff, cruise ship but... one? Yes. Yeah, uh, I guess I think I thought it was funny. I, I, yeah, not that memorable though. I mean the the animation style I think is more impressionable than the the jokes or the story because i know like hmm. from an animation standpoint it's supposed to be incredibly impressive but i'm not not as well versed in knowing about that sort of stuff i have to admit yeah. um but adam's family cannot say the same the animation those movies are garish and it wastes a perfectly good oscar isaac who in theory should be perfect for uh live gomez. action gomez live yes, action exactly. gomez don't just do the voice yeah what do you think we're here for? I want to see this man in mm-hmm. the flesh. I want to see. Yeah. You know what? This is another tangent. Oscar Isaac, can we get this man a role? Like a role. I know Card Counter just came out. I can't say anything. I didn't see it. I missed it. Mm-hmm. You all know the truth. But I want to see Oscar Isaac in a weird film role. What's like the weirdest thing he's been in lately? Like, I feel like since Ex Machina, I mean, directors are just sort of like, yes, Oscar Isaac the straight man no 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 he is altogether kooky We're, what are we doing i mean i thought he was pretty weird in uh apocalypse x-men apocalypse to be more specific am i supposed to remember? that's 2016 will ashton yes. i mean that's five years ago five years gone mm-hmm. i mean i'm thinking of like star wars right and i'm just like what happened you know, like this man had the suave, the charm, the daring do. And what, what, what do we what, what did we get? He got he got like catapulted to A-lister status. And I feel like it just ruined his cred. And I'm just like, I don't know. I'm just complaining to complain, I guess. His, he has a whole feature ahead of him. I should just relax, I guess. But that's uh, Adam's family, too. That's all we have to say about that. Yeah. I mean. Did you see uh, the letter room? The short film that he was in with his wife. No, no, you did though, huh? 
Yeah, he, he got a little Did weird. Did you say nice things about that? It was all right. It was nice. I don't know. Is he gonna be? Do you think he's gonna be weird in Moon Knight? Uh, no. I mean, if he is, I'll be so happy. I want to be wrong. I want to be like, yes, Disney is gonna know what to do this time because it's Marvel. But yeah. I mean, hey, I mean, this is actually a decent segue into Venom. Let there be carnage. If we're going to talk about comic book movies, and I, I want to talk about comic book movies. I want to talk about yeah. what the heck is going on with comic book movies. So maybe we should just do that. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about this. Is our big review? Venom. Let there be Venom, carnage. Venom. They don't play that song again. This one, the Eminem one. I think there's another Eminem song in this, but they learned their lesson. Um, sure. Is there another one? I think I is well, it, there was one of the end credits. It was kind of like right. boop pop, you know, it was like hip hop. Yeah. And what are you going to do? Okay. Yeah. Lady, we should be out there snacking on bad guys. I am a predator. I need to be free. You have got to get control of your aggression, or you will get hauled off into Area 51 live in my body you live by my rules i'm sorry i don't know what came over me please let me fix it so i can bring it again you are a loser eddie brock i want to give you my story people love serial killers please why me what's mine it's yours and what's yours is mine. I have tasted blood before, and that is not it. All I ever wanted in this world is carnage. So, Venom, let there be carnage. Big hit at the box office. Let's get that straight off the bat. We're recording this on a Monday. Huge hit. Weekends past. Huge hit. Biggest of the pandemic, basically. And I mean, it's just just taking the world by storm. People love Venom. They can't get enough. It's the sequel to the 2018 film. Sony also did that one, of course. Sony owns the rights of Spider-Man. That movie was just called Venom. It It was a weird movie. It was a bit peculiar because... They centered it around the very iconic Spider-Man villain. A lot of people's favorite Spider-Man villain. We we had gotten a Venom kind of thing before on the big screen live action by mm-hmm. Topher Grace and Spider-Man 3. Famously, Sam Raimi was like, I don't I don't want to do this. I don't, you know, you can tell when you watch Spider-Man 3, the Venom stuff is like the least interesting stuff, right? So like the Venom movie was like, okay, now we're actually going to do Venom, like for real this time. Yeah. Like, that didn't count. I know you love Spider-Man 3, but hopefully we've grown that. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're not incorrect in that Venom or Venom. Sony has been very adamant about getting Venom on the big screen, as you say, be it Spider-Man 3 or his own standalone film. And I remember if if my memory serves correctly, uh, as we detailed in our previous episode, we talked about how just making a Venom movie, even though the character has been established in the comics as something of an anti-hero, it, it just seemed absurd to make a movie with Venom without Spider-Man involved. Uh, it just everything about the development of that film was just like, why are you doing this? It's just so clear that they're just chasing the cash cow of the MCU and fighting to the nail to get into the MCU, even indirectly. 
And yeah, uh, yeah. I guess it worked out because, uh, I mean, critically, that movie was, uh, you know, raked over the coals, um, but it did find an audience. Um, I'm not convinced uh, fully sincerely, but I think uh, there were several people that unironically did enjoy the film yeah. as a a uh, kind of campier than usual uh, blockbuster, uh, especially at a time when uh, comic book movies and superhero movies were becoming kind of more... Uh, banal i guess or or kind of more complicit or complacent uh in yeah. uh being yeah. uh sort of generic or kind of uh, around the mill that was that was sony's plan right yeah. sony was like all right well we got sinister six we got venom people already have like the mcu why don't we make some movies with the villains in them it's it's not a bad idea right yeah i mean the weird thing for me about the cult around the first venom film is that there are really only like three or four scenes where Venom is just truly unhinged. For the most part, it's very playbook. Like here is just your typical kind of like we're just following the book as much as possible. This is what we want from a comic book movie. Just follow the template and we'll get to the the finish line. And uh, I think the general takeaway from the uh, a previous film is that we like the stuff with Tom Hardy in the lobster can and the lobster tank, you know, eating a live lobster. We like weird venom lady kissing uh, Tom Hardy, uh, like stuff like that. It's just like, OK, weird. And we can't get that in many other films. Like, let's really push that if we're going to do another venom movie. And to the credit of Sony and director Andy Serkis, that seems to be the uh, modus operandi for this. That's film. that's it. That's what people want. I mean, they did a big thing, right? They took a character who, like you said, I mean, this character, it's, he's usually in New York. Usually the storyline is like Peter has the symbiote, the symbiote. And it's like this black alien goo. He becomes evil. But then Eddie Brock gets it. He becomes Venom. And then Venom's just like a thorn in his side. And some of the comics did like establish some ground, right? Like this movie is based on Maximum Carnage. And it's a little bit more of like, oh, you know, what if Venom's an antihero? And that's kind of fun because, you know, like an antihero that looks as like gnarly and evil as Venom. Like that's that's a fun premise. That's something that like gets people into the theater. So, like, I think Sony made a good call. They were, they they reestablished the continuity. They rejigged the character. They got Tom Hardy. What a great movie. I mean, Tom Hardy's such a great actor. And they kept the whole Eddie Brock thing. It's the same character. Who, who cares? We have multiverses now. They had the foresight of being like, no one's going to care if his name's Eddie Brock or any of that stuff. They put him in San Francisco instead of New York, which I thought was like, uh, I, okay, like you got to have an excuse that Spider-Man's not around. So, I mean, it, it, hey, give it some different, you know, we only had like at that point when Venom came out, I think Ant-Man was like the only major, you know, superhero movie that took place in San Francisco. So sure, okay, we got to have a city. So do that or Chicago. I, I, I still to this day think that Chicago would have been a better fit, but whatever, you know, it's fine. San Francisco, I still have my complaints, by the way, of like the way these movies use San Francisco is like appalling. But regardless, the thing with that first Venom movie, like what made it for me unforgivable, because you already mentioned it, I was super negative. I hated that movie and it because I just I just hated how boring and formulaic the plot was. And, you know, we kind of mentioned it and I still agree with our sentiment from back then three years ago that it was more like a comic book movie from like the late 90s and early 2000s and, and not in a good way. Yes. It just the, yeah. the writing around it, like it just really didn't work. But like you said, the film had one ingredient, I think just one thing, like, well, the, you know, the Tom Hardy performance for sure. Mm -hmm. But like that 
and also the Venom thing, like their relationship is what made that thing stand out. That's what gave it legs, right? At least enough to like warn a sequel. And, you know, it's this whole absurdly parasitic relationship between Eddie Brock and the actual, like, he's a human heat eating alien goo. And it's just, it, that's unhinged, you know, like that's mm-hmm. wild. So like them sort of like, clashing and not being able to control each other there's like a monster movie element to it like that stuff is interesting like the only parts of the first venom i liked and found even remotely interesting were their kind of like unconventional even like at times kind of sappy relationship because it was like a a bizarre alien buddy comedy with like a little bit more edge and it i I guess it was just different from other comic book movies at the time and even still today it was just sort of like okay here's something new yeah, it had a weird sort of like almost romantic comedy meet cute sort of thing going for it that I think took people by surprise. And uh, like you said, I think that's the only real stuff about the first movie that's interesting or fun for the most part. Um, I rewatched the film leading up to this film just out of curiosity because I knew so many oh people were endeared by it and and taken by it. And I just wanted to give it a second shot and just be like, OK, like am I missing something here with this film? And I will say I was more favorable on the film upon rewatch. I still don't really like it much, but I found it more agreeable. If you take away just the, um, the, the, the basically like pilot level filmmaking, like it's, it's basically, if you look at, uh, it just feels like Ruben Flesher is just there to be a director for hire for the most part. Ruben Fleischer, director of like Zombieland, of course. Right. I mean, yeah, good cast, a good director's choice at the time. Like it made sense. Right. Well, he's, he did the Zombieland sequel too. Yeah. Which, you know, what are you going to sure. do about that? Not much. But he's on autopilot. Sony is coming in wild with a bunch of ideas and the cast just looks kind of confused and bewildered. And, you know, they're just kind of like going along with it. Some more than others. Um, Michelle Williams is like, is this worth the paycheck? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Michelle Williams is kind of like, hey, it's getting my kid through college. Riz Ahmed's yeah, yeah. Is like, I got Sound of Metal coming up in a couple years. Yeah, Riz Ahmed, he was just like, I'll do this. Are you kidding me? This is, this yeah. is my brand. It's whatever I want to do. Jenny Slate just like, okay, so wait, what's the premise of this film? Forgot she was in it. Totally, yes. totally forgot until I listened to our conversation. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's, wow. And then Eddie Brock, uh, aka Tom Hardy, is just kind of like, I, I let me try a voice with this. Uh, <laughs> uh, let me, uh, it's like, I don't even know what. What accent is he trying to do in that film? I don't even actually honestly know at this point. It's like it, it, to me, it sounded like he was trying to do like a midwestern combination of like yeah. Pennsylvania and New York. Like that was like what I picked up on. I, I guess. Know. I mean, it's a mix of a bunch of stuff. I mean, well, that's the thing. It had no identity to it. He just that movie had such a weird blue collarness to it. He was like a hometown hero or something. Whatever. And, and like all that to say. That to me is what makes the sequel kind of interesting because it basically just gets rid of all that stuff. It's like, okay, we get it. Like you hated all that in the first movie. So Mm -hmm. we'll just take it out. You know, no by the numbers villain this time. There's no weird subtext about gentrification or an evil plot or like, yeah, all the plotty stuff that no one cares about. They just got rid of it. Yeah. They're like, this is, this is just going to lean fully into like the loud dumb extravaganza of it all of like Eddie and Venom they go on a just kind of like a little side adventure quick movie 90 minutes the big thing is that now in this movie they have to deal with a new symbiote who's attached himself to Woody Harrelson's character Cletus Cassidy aka Carnage so it's like the maximum Carnage storyline he's a blood red serial killer version of them and and you know it, 
a lot of the movie though they're apart like you spend time apart from them for the most part like eddie brock and woody harrelson's character like cleus cassidy they have like their own sort of like rivalry kind mm-hmm. of like we don't like each other blah blah but like the big thing is like eddie brock and venom are just like they're in like a failed marriage you know you hate to see it looks like they're on the verge of divorce i feel like their kid you know just being like you guys fight all the time i'm sick of it you know do what makes you happy and they can't seem to get it straight and there's also another murderer on the scene connected to carnage also from maximum carnage uh it's a mutant with siren powers named shriek played by naomi harris and then michelle williams comes back and a bigger role in this movie than I expected. Like I heard she was coming back and I didn't think she would like, I thought after the first movie, she'd be like, I'm good. See you guys. Like, okay, I did it. I was in a comic book movie. I was in Oz, the great and powerful. I did my time. Now I'm going to go back to doing indies. I'm going to maybe do a blue Valentine kind of thing. I don't know. You know, see what happens. No, no, no. She came back for venom too. <laughs> I think she was under contract, right? Like she had to be, was she really? Well, surely. I mean, like, Who signs I mean, that contract. I mean, <laughs> well, I think what happened was that, like, she was like, OK, whatever. This will get my kid through college. And, Fair you know, enough. surely this isn't going to get a sequel or whatever. Like, Sony doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she had Fosse Verdon on the horizon. We got to say she had greatest showman on her heels. So she's I mean, her career, it's not necessarily flopping. We should be clear. No, no, no. But I mean, like, it was just an easy paycheck. Like, I mean, that role wasn't right. like it, she didn't have to, like, prepare as she would for something like Fosse Verdon or living, like yeah. Manchester by the Sea, I think. Um, not the dis- I don't know. Maybe she did a lot of preparation for this role. I don't know. If she did, I don't think it necessarily shows. Not that she gives a bad <laughs> performance in either film, but I she's just think she's doing dude, a good job like balancing it out though, because we also have all the money in the world, right? She was in that. Yeah, I never saw that one, but um, yeah, I mean. Like you said, like as far as Eddie Brock, it's in this movie, at least it's a kind of odd mix of um, the odd couple and then like a buddy cop film. If like both but uh, both cops were uh, Mel Gibson's character in Lethal Weapon, like they're both the homicidal <laughs> yeah. maniac, suicidal maniac. Um, uh, yeah, which is. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think like you said, the first film, I think what, what brought it down was that it was so sluggish in its pacing and, and outside of a few spirited moments, it really just felt like it was so by the books uh, in its structure and tone. And then this one, it trims out all the fat as much as possible and goes at this breakneck speed and has so many delirious things happen that I don't want to oversell it because I don't think it's that crazy, but I think yes, it happens. Mo- yeah. I think it moves at such a clip. That does evoke that sort of like fever dreamish feel to it that if you were to be uh, consumed by an intergalactic parasite, I think it, it captures that feeling pretty well. <laughs> just watching the it's film a- and just not really processing yeah. what's going on and just being like, OK, I'll have to, well, let's have to address that later. We're, we're too busy dealing with carnage. Yeah, no, I think that's spot on. Like it, it like so. OK, Here, here's my simple review of this movie. Yes, this is better than the first one. It is because it embraces what works with these character dynamics. It, like it takes the best stuff about that and it just leans into it. But I still think the fundamental issue that at least I have with the writing it is the writing. I just don't think it's where it needs to be. I don't think it's very funny or sharp or clever, except for like maybe like you were kind of saying in the first movie, like it has some moments where I'm like, that's fun. Like Venom goes to a rave, but like even then it's like Venom goes to a rave and like the dialogue in that scene, isn't that good? Like, it's just kind of like 
I don't know, very serviceable. And like we mentioned, Andy Serkis is the director, but you know, this is big. I think this is his follow up to Mowgli. I don't remember if he did anything uh, before. No, 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 it is in between. Yeah. It's his third film, yeah. But I couldn't say that this has like a real like director's identity to it. Like if you told me that Ruben Fleischer directed this too, I'd be like, yeah, probably. Like, yeah, he came back for seconds. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know. There's nothing about this that screamed Andy Circus to me, I guess. And I guess this movie just rapidly losing permanence for me. And I'm I'm pretty disappointed with it. I just think it's kind of average, which again is better than the first one. I think the first one is just like straight out awful. Like I wouldn't recommend people watch it. I mean, I know people like it, but I think those people know that they're going to watch it anyway. And I don't know. I, I think that this movie is like a, a step up, but not that big of a step up. Yeah. I mean, I think the first film I'm a little kinder on, I think it's, it's mostly a, like a lukewarm sort of C grade type of a uh, comic book film, like kind of lower end of C this is like if we were still doing grades, probably somewhere between like a B minus and a C plus and that like quality wise is probably closer to a C plus. But in terms of entertainment value, I probably enjoyed the experience of watching this film more than, say, the last two MCU movies. Is this better than Song Chi? I don't know. I mean, maybe. But uh, I think I had more no, fun. It's not better than Shang Chi. It might. It's better than Black Widow. Um, sure. At least it's better than I would agree with that. the totality of Black Widow. I'd rather rewatch this than that. I would much rather watch Shang-Chi than this movie. That's just me, I guess. But like, I think they're, no. I think they're, they're pretty close to one another. I just, I think Shang-Chi is a better made film. And I agree with you that as far as like Andy Serkis, I think he's mostly just doing this to kind of raise his profile. They picked him, I assume, because he has the motion capture experience. I don't know if there's a whole lot of motion capture in the film, but certainly has a lot of yeah. um, uh, experience directing with uh, special effects or working with special effects and actors. So surely that was uh, an appeal as far as like capturing, like we said before, the Venom Eddie Brock dynamic. And I think, as we've said, that, that was probably for the best since that he probably he was his uh, influence in those regards is probably one key reason why this movie is more entertaining or more lively than the previous film. But at the same time, like, you didn't even mention that this movie was shot by Robert Richardson. And like, if That's you can tell, true. uh, more, uh, <laughs> they flash yeah. his name in the credits. They want you to know it. They're just like, yeah. by the way, <laughs> I mean, we should clarify Robert Richardson. Uh, let's see. He shot, uh, most of, um, Qu uh, Quentin Tarantino's most recent films. Did he do legend um, of the fall? Also, um, I don't know. Yes, I think so. He's done. He's done all. Of, he's worked with Oliver Stone. He's worked with Martin Scorsese. He's won the Oscar for Best Cinematography three times. Right. I think he. Um, I think he's one of the three only direct uh, cinematographers he's won the award that many times. Um, he, he's a bit of a legend, but at the same time, like, oh boy. <laughs> I mean, well, let's see. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was his last one, right? Uh, so that's because that's 2019. He hasn't done one. He did. He did a private war. I want to say before that he did do. Oh, gosh. Breathe. He did that, didn't he? That that was that other Andy Serkis movie. The one he did before Mowgli. Uh, technically after, but came out before. It's kind of weird. I'm going to look it up because I, I don't want to mess this up. But to your point, yes, he's worked with. Uh, yeah, he's worked with Tarantino because I know he did Inglorious Bastards. Killed yes. it with that movie. And uh, did both of the. Yeah, did both of the Kill Bills. Um, OK, so I just brought it up. Uh, yeah, he also did Jinko Unchained. I wasn't sure about that. He did Hateful Eight, which I love mm -hmm. that movie. Um, and the Kill Bills. Um, which... I mentioned the Kill Bills. Oh, OK, 
yeah. I should clarify, he didn't do uh, Legend of the Fall, but he did Born on the Fourth of July, which is probably what I was thinking of. I thought you were right about that too, huh? Okay, fair enough. Um, but yeah, he did do JFK. Ah, I forgot about that one, and he did yeah. Few Good Men. I didn't know that. Uh, so there, there are a few on this list I'm seeing, and I'm just uh, like, yeah, yeah, Casino. I know he did that. Um, so yeah, anyway, it, Robert Richardson, and to see, like, again, like, look at that filmography. Like, I'm looking at this. I'm seeing, I'm seeing ribeye. I'm seeing New York Prime. I'm seeing mm-hmm. filet mignon, and then I get to Venom, and I'm just like, what is this like mystery meat from the cafeteria you just put on my plate? Yeah, I just, I mean, at some point in his career, he'll justifiably have like a retrospective, you know, like at, you know, like the Golden Globes or something where they show all of his great work throughout the years. And there's going to just be clips from Venom, let there be carnage thrown in there because it's part of his resume. And it's just going to be very confusing <laughs> to see like whatever yeah. carnage and Venom clips amid um, Kill Bill and uh, The Aviator him. and Once uh, Upon a Time in Hollywood and all these, you know great films of the, the the recent past and uh you know i i just find it very very odd that he uh that he had his stamp on this film in some way or another yeah we you also have stephen graham in this movie for some reason when i saw stephen graham in this he plays a director or a director a detective excuse me and i he he stuck out to me immediately because he, he gets introduced as a detective and he has like a hearing aid and i was just like hey yeah, yeah i have this hearing aid just like that that's cool and then I was like, why is this movie doing this? And they, they have like a reason for it. Like, it's not just like super random. I was like, we just have a character with a disability because we just do. And that would have been cool. But no, I mean, there's a whole reason behind it, whatever. But no, it's kind of interesting to see Stephen Graham pop up in this. Because I think the last thing we saw him was him in was uh, Greyhound. He had kind of like a small role in that. He had, he had, he, I th- didn't he win a, a SAG award for Irishman? Um, he played one of the characters in that, if I recall. Um, did he win personally, or did was he part of the ensemble that won? Win personally, I think. Um, okay, well, he's uh, great. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. It's, it's ensemble. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was gonna say because he had a really small part in uh, the Irishman, but he has a great scene. So I mean, he if he had won oh, for that, yes, yeah. One of my favorite scenes in the movie. Uh, yeah, I, I forget what he else. I know people know him from like Boardwalk Empire, but I've never really gotten into that. And he's been in a few other films, but yeah. So Stephen Graham, he shows up, and I was just like. So this is like a character like you can't just have Stephen Graham in this and he's not going to have more than like a handful of lines. But anyway, I just we were kind of getting around to it. But I mean, this is a short movie. Like not much happens in this. Like you get to the point in this movie where like Venom and Carnage are fighting and stuff. And then you're just like, this movie is this movie about to end. (laughs) Like, I don't know. How do you feel about the length? Like, do you think that it's. I, I kind of am like grateful to it because it doesn't oversee its welcome. But at the same time, I'm like, I didn't get anything out of this. Like, this isn't really like a, a yeah. story. Like, there's no message. Like, there's, it's just sort of like a, insanity for the sake of it. Like, is sure. that fair? Um, I would equate the experience of watching this film as, um, you know, like when you're a kid and you sit in those like swivel chairs and a kid like spins you around a bunch of times and you like get (laughs) off of it and you're like your legs are wobbly and you're like that's fun and you like throw up or something that's kind of like how i feel like this movie's like it's just like you're sitting in a swabbly or swiveling chair for like two hours and then you like it's over and you get well sorry 90 minutes and then you get up and you're just like yeah that was fun i guess but then like you're kind of dizzy and uh delirious and you're just kind of like what what exactly just happened in that movie like if you try to break it down you're just like i 
I, I guess I understand the plot of that movie. Like, it, it, yeah. I don't think it's competent in any way, and I'm not. I don't think it's trying to be competent either. To kind of go against an earlier point you made, I think one reason I do find this film appealing is that it's not really trying to be smart as fist kid. It's just leaning into the the dumbness of it or the uh, the juvenile sense of humor, at least of it, mm-hmm. in a way that uh, I can understand some people be annoyed by. But I feel like that makes it more a piece with what's appealing about the first film where it's just like, if we're just going to do a Venom movie, just be real dumb and like uh juvenile and uh, obscene with it. Like if you can within a PG 13 restriction, I think certainly these films would be better if they could really lean into the R rated rating, but um, I get why they don't. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, but at the same time, it. yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get like, Having I, I I keep thinking watching this like I probably would have enjoyed this at most probably if I was like eight to twelve years old and I just <laughs> didn't really think about like the real world in any way it just was like watching goo men fight each other because they're big and gooey and stinky and gross and they just are fighting each other I think that would have been more fun um, and I can understand like I guess from Sony standpoint like they're trying to get as much money out of this as possible but I think at the same time like this is probably more appealing to to young audiences than not. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean, because it's a comic book film. <laughs> um, but yeah, they should have just called it Venom Maximum Carnage, by the way. The, the subtitle sure. is lame. Eh. I mean, they're trying to do like the religious bent to it. And I'm just like, mm. sure. Um, my biggest complaint with both films still remains, though, that the third act of each film divulges into big gooey fights Yep, set yep. in pitch black at night where I can barely make out what's <laughs> happening because it looks like two muddy puddles are fighting each other. This is slightly better, though. It's a little bit more memorable. You even have like Reed Scott who kind of gets to do some fun like this, this. The actual third act has some scenes in it, right? Like or it has moments, at least. It's not just like I don't remember anything about that first movie. I feel like I remember some stuff from this one a little. Um. Well, there was a big rocket in the first film. <laughs> That, that's all that's, literally yeah. all I remember. That's like, if you would at quiz me, I'd have been like the only yeah. thing I would have mentioned. Um, yeah, slightly less evil version of Elon Musk wants to um, light off a rocket and kill off. I don't know, a bunch of people, I guess, or something. Yeah. And then this, uh, this movie. Yeah. You know what? Like this movie, it just it has like the the sensibility of like a UFC match, you know, where it's like it's all leading up to the big fight, but it's not till the end. Because that's the thing is like this movie would have been much better if like if it had been more of like venom and carnage, like I would have loved to see venom fighting carnage, but like we barely like mm-hmm. we get venom and carnage, but not till the end. It's like, we got to have all this other stuff leading up to it. We have to have the drama. We got to go to the locker room, you know, like a USC match on pay-per-view. Sure. Everyone's getting drunk at the Buffalo wild wings you're at. And you're just like, when are we going to get to the fight? <laughs> you know Joe I mean? Rogan interviews, um, venom at one point. Yeah, he takes some ivermectin and turns into Venom. And then yeah, you're just, just like, like, whoa. No, I was thinking like he gets him on the Joe Rogan experience. Just like, so what's <laughs> up with you? He's like, I like eating bad guys. And he's like, oh, oh. yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. I never thought of the media is <laughs> yeah. hiding that. Yeah. Yes. You don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I'm pretty nice to this movie. I think like Woody Harrelson, great casting for Carnage. I think he does like, I think yeah. he does a fine enough job in this. He's cool. Well, he's, uh, Carnage. Yeah. yeah. Who would have done it better? I don't know. He's playing a dumber version of his natural born killers character, right? That's exactly. Basically the yeah, idea. I was thinking right. that too. And he's very young too, because like in the nineties, like flashback they have, it doesn't really match up because it's like he's like a teenager, but then you're like, but it's Woody Harris. Right. <laughs> like in the nineties, he was in, he was like Eddie Brock's age. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about the um 
like they don't de-age him they just get like another actor to play him but they have his voice over the right. the actor how'd you I feel thought i thought hilarious. that was hilarious i loved okay. it oh i was like okay now i know what movie this is sure i get like totally it makes sense i just felt like it was a really weird decision it's uh, a weird decision but right. i'm glad that it exists as trivia you know we could always look back on it you know what i mean um so we're gonna play our little game because i feel like we've covered it but uh, we're gonna our game, of course, being like guess the Rotten Tomato score. That said, there's this movie also in a, in a big way. It feels to me like it's leading all the way up to its big credits thing. There's a whole thing in the credits. We're not gonna give it away. Don't worry. No spoilers it's dumb. here. Um, but there is a big spoiler thing. And if you saw it, you saw it. And so we're not gonna say anything specific. But will you said it's dumb? Is that what you said? Yeah, I thought it was dumb. Sure. I have no opinion. It's just I'm like, different. It made me roll my eyes and just be like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. It might as well happen. Like I feel with this movie. It's just like, yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Yes. Do what you want to do. Sure. Don't let me stop you. Early in the week, I saw okay. a Rod Tomato score for it, but I haven't seen it recently. What, it, what, it, what was the first score you saw? The first score I saw was like when the reviews were dropping and I think it was like 77% or something like that. Okay. Might have been like 75 or something. Okay. Um, and I imagine it's gone either higher or lower since then, but I don't know. I could see it either way. Okay. Um, but I'm going to say mm-hmm. the first number that comes to my brain is 64%. Man, you're good at this. 59%, but that's still pretty good. Like I, I'd say okay. like you're within five points. That's okay. That's a pretty decent margin of error. So it's 59% out of 164 reviews. That's still going to move. Like, that's when we're recording this. I mean, it's probably going to get double that by when all is said and done, right? So who knows sure. if it'll keep... I assume it'll keep trending downward, probably, but who's to say? Uh, what uh, about audience score? I'll, I'll give you a little hint with the audience score. 5,000 plus verified <laughs> ratings. That's how you know it's a hit. You know, we've been we've been playing this game for a minute and like a lot of the time the audience score is not that high. <laughs> I think this is the yeah. highest I've seen in a minute. But yeah, okay. what do you think? Is it honestly like 98% or something crazy like that? It's not 98%. You want to okay. have one more guess though? Like something kind of uh, 92%? A little closer. It's uh, 85%. Okay, 85 So, All right. so not everybody, yeah, not everybody's falling for it. <laughs> if, uh, if you know what I mean. Some people are like, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> yeah i mean i'm look i'm a i'm a i'm a family man uh i do have a cinema score on this thing what's your guess on that one? Oh, cinema score uh you know what i i keep guessing low for these so i'm gonna mm-hmm. guess high and say a minus if i was guessing i would have said a which i would have been more off than you it's a b plus okay so I, you're, I was thinking b plus but i was like you know what? No, if it's making $90 million, probably it's A- because folks are just going nuts for this thing. <laughs> I'm curious. I mean, like, based on the cinema score, the audience ratings, like, all that stuff put together, I wonder what the drop-off is going to be next week. Like, is this really front-loaded? Right? I mean, Dear uh, Evan Hansen, did you see the drop for that in the box office? 67%. That's not good. That's a pretty mm-hmm. sharp drop. Should have dropped two more percents and we could have said nice. <laughs> that would have been yeah uh i mean to be to be super clear like that's not super abnormal like a lot of movies drop in the 60s percentage wise in the second week but still i mean it's it's not good for a pandemic movie because that's a death knell essentially well that one's not surprising because 
I mean, every, the buzz around that film was just bad. I think. Agree. Agree. The, the first weekend, it was just, you know, like the, the, the Broadway loving crowd that wanted to see the film version came out. And I'm assuming that was the majority of the audience that went to see this in theaters during a pandemic. So, um, and fans of Glee, come on. I mean, there's not that yeah. much overlap, is there? No, but I, I, I think the big question for next week is how much of, of, of a crossover is there between people that would, that would see Venom in theaters and miss the first weekend and audiences who just want to see No Time to Die. That's the big question for me, yeah, I think. I'm very curious about that. Because they're both, uh, they're both PG-13. I think No Time to Die is, it, I mean, I don't know. I think Bond has a bigger uh, culture footprint. Um, yeah well i mean they're they both have big cultural footprints i mean venom spider-man spider-man's a it's an institution i mean i I think we should be clear about that it's a comic book movie no time to die is a longer movie i mean um, how do you compete like it's hard to compare these movies i mean one is like 90 minutes the other is two hours and 43 i mean just well, just based in like real estate and logistics like no time to die has a tougher hill to climb the biggest the biggest thing for me though is i feel like um but I don't want to give away spoilers, but I feel like if people if the word gets out about the end credit scene in Venom and yeah. some people are like, well, now I have to see it because of X, Y, Z. Is that going yeah. to draw people who weren't going to see it before to see it because they feel an obligation to see it? They don't know the like right way to find it on YouTube because I'm sure it's on there somewhere. No, but I'm I mean, sure. like the comic book crowd that might have skipped this otherwise but now feel yeah, like they kind of waiting. have to see it mm-hmm. for uh, completionist sake. Uh, do you think they're going to come out? I don't know. And, you know, who knows how many screens are going to be devoted to either. I would not want to be a theater distributor right now. I know that's what you do for a living, but like <laughs> having well, to like look like, at. Well, yeah, you do more of like the indie art house scene, but like, sure. I mean, I used to do that, right? Like, as I used to be a manager at a theater, and like, that's a tough call. Like, if I was like looking at Venom and No Time to Die, like, which one I would probably split the difference. But like, your two biggest theater houses, and then I know nowadays, like, people just like give tons of screenings to the same movies. Like, I sent you that thing where it's like literally Venom yeah. was like every single screening except for one that was like Titan. Titan, yeah. Just, yeah. Um, yeah. I finally looked at the right pronunciation. We've been calling it Titan and Titany. I looked at the French pronunciation of that movie, and it's supposed to be Titan. I hope that's correct. Titan. Okay, I think that sounded right. I mean, that was I've heard that pronunciation before. I just didn't know if that was the correct one. There's just no like, uh, there's no like, um, like what do you call those? Uh, like indents or abbreviate like to like on the e's or the i's or anything to like you know. They swallow vowels over in right. Europe, and you know. I don't judge him. I mean, I'm assuming uh, No Time to Die is going to take up most of the IMAX screens next week. Uh, so I think that will probably be a big blow for And like Venom. the Dolby Atmos and yeah, you know, like and the specialty, stuff. sure, the, the XD, all that stuff. But I, I don't mean, know. And then Venom will get all of like the late night screenings. I don't yeah. know. It's so hard. To, uh, I don't but know. But if I were a theater owner, I wouldn't be like, Oh, well, um, I'm not going to, you know, keep Dear Evan Hansen card counter to and lose a screening for Venom, I guess. I mean, sad Blue Bayou, I'm sorry to say, see you. Is that still um, even at the in-, in theaters anymore? That's playing I only, I, at my local indie theater, Will okay. Action. I'm hoping to catch it. I told you I'd watch it and we'll see what sure. happens. I'm gonna I think that actually left, uh, I think that left theaters near me actually already. So, um, I don't we know. We still got it over here in our little, our little corner, but. Sure. It's hanging on, but for dear life, I'll give you that much. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. 
It's uh, this fall is gonna be really, really weird for movies. Big month for movies, like, October. Yeah, big month. I mean, and, and I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what movie I would not have a hard time programming if I was still a theater manager, and that's the Many Saints of Newark. Look at that transition. Sure. There you go. That is an easy film to sort of be like, all right, we can cut our losses with this one. I mean, it's available on HBO Max already for an HBO show. Who? I mean, I get it. Like the the hardcore fans of The Sopranos are probably like, well, I got to see the Many Saints of Newark on uh, on the big screen. Eh? And maybe they did. Maybe they did in the first weekend, but the second weekend, no, 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 no. Everybody else is gonna like. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just gonna watch that on uh, HBO Max because they probably already have it. Yeah. I mean, I'll say it was weird to see the HBO logo on the big screen. Um, it wasn't like the like traditional HBO logo, but it was an HBO logo, and it was weird to see that in a theater. We're talking about The Sopranos for the first time on Cinemaholics. I mean, it is a cinema show, but it's a movie. It's a prequel to The Sopranos, which was a very influential and important television program it premiered mm-hmm. in 1999 it went for seven seasons it had an infamous finale i feel like yes. the first time i really heard about that show from a lot of people was like the finale like i had heard of the sopranos obviously because yeah. that show was coming out when we were you know like i was in high school i was i mean when it first came out i was a kid i was like eight nine years old it ended when i was in high school i was basically meadow you know, or I guess not, because I was the the you were younger AJ, brother. I think. You yeah. were AJ, Anthony, um, AJ. But AJ, well, they they call Wait, him Anthony. Were you Cam- or what do you call Carmelo? What are you calling him? Everyone calls him AJ. AJ, I I haven't heard AJ. We'll get to it. I I've been hearing Anthony as the young boy sure. uh, in the first season. Anyway. Many Saints of Newark, though, it doesn't take place in 1999, because that's that's the thing we should make clear in case you don't know. Sopranos takes place in the modern day. It's like modern day Goodfellas, right? It's like the mob, yeah. but in New Jersey circa 1999 when the show was coming out. It's, yeah, I mean, it's like an 86-hour Soprano, or uh, Scorsese film in some respects. It's like, it's like, you know how like Band of Brothers was a an episodic form, a version of Steven Spielberg's Saving Private Ryan? You know, the World mm-hmm. War II thing. They kind of did the same thing with like Casino and and Goodfellas and Godfather. And I never got into The Sopranos because like Will and I have talked about this off the year, but like it just came out at the wrong time. Like I didn't have HBO. Come on. I was 10. Right. <laughs> like, I, you know, like I, I wasn't watching HBO either. regularly until like right. Game of Thrones was a thing, you know, because sure. that's when I was like post-college. That's when I could afford to have streaming services like that. Yeah, but I think one thing that's been fascinating is that like Sopranos, unlike other prestige shows, um, you know, like Game of Thrones, like you mentioned, has had a pretty long shelf life. Like people our age are revisiting the show or finding the show yeah. for the first time and getting a lot out of it as far as its commentary and seeing how it is actually what, what it's saying about the decline of America, like the dwindling of how we see society and all that is still prevalent. And if anything, more relevant now because of how things have turned out for America. And I think that's one of the key reasons why Warner Brothers is so keen to keep this going, either as a film or a show or what have you. Um, but as you were mentioning, it's been 13 the or 14 years. Yeah, but the Sopranos, the, the finale of it, uh, among uh, along with the you know it being a controversial ending, it, it has this kind of weird uh, point in TV history where, like you said, it is 
one of the key shows that legitimized television as an art form or as something that was more than just like uh, occasionally you just flip on a TV, like making television a weekly appointment. Prestige television. It kicked off what people are still saying is ongoing, the ongoing golden age of television. A lot of people would estimate. But the weird thing about the finale is that it kind of become it. So it's 2007 and that's around the same time that Lost is uh, becoming uh, a mainstay yeah. for a lot of people on television, becoming an appointment season, show. I think, huh? Yeah. Uh, and Lost kind of trained audiences to have like answers. Like, like if you search for certain things on the show, you'll be rewarded if you like for your attention, your, you know, diligence and all this, which made it ironic that the, the ending of that show is also fairly divisive. Yeah. Well, that was the thing. That show was all about like fan theories, but then the ending of the show was like, but we made it up as we went along. Isn't that fun? Right. But Sopranos, David Chase's uh, vision for the show is often, as you'll know or you'll see as you keep watching, hopefully, is that like he could care less about giving answers to a lot of things. Like he just wants to say certain things and avoid the easy explanations and have, you know, like kind of a a text that's rich in theories and thoughts and, and being like, the characters kind of psychoanalyzing what's going on with the characters, what certain things can mean, what connotations for certain things could yeah, mean. He's big on yeah. ambiguity. Is that right. what you're trying to say? Yeah, which I think was what made uh, the appeal of the show or uh, what made the show so appealing and what made the idea of a movie sort of uh, both tantalizing and also kind of scary because what we're talking about with the film is the uh, not so much the rise of Tony Soprano as the marketing has been saying, but the rise or the influence of um, Dickie Melsanti, Christopher Melsanti's father and uh, Tony Soprano's main mentor, who is this Before figure. We proceed, who is, can we, yeah. we got to get two things out of the way here because I don't okay. think we got to this yet. Will Ashton. You and I, we didn't watch The Sopranos growing up. We like we didn't watch the show. Yeah, I watched it late. Exactly. So you watch. You just watched all of it. Like yes. you have been. You have been like rewatch or not rewatching. You've been watching it for the first time. You finished yeah, it. You had a, yeah. apparently you had a great time. Like I, that's the impression that I got. It's a great show. It's honest. I've not watched a lot of TV, um, and I'm not saying anything that I think is out of school. Mm-hmm. But uh, it is honestly one of the best shows I've ever seen. That's amazing. I mean, I'm so happy to hear that. And like, I look, I I am a total newbie. I watched Many Saints of Newark, this prequel, without ever watching a single episode of Sopranos. So you're getting a review about this movie from somebody who's never seen an episode of the show, from somebody who just watched the entire thing. I'm sorry, we don't have anybody here who is like, oh, I watched it back when it was coming out, you know, because I, yeah. I don't know, we can't get our dads on the phone. Sorry, but, you know. Someone that's watched like uh, <laughs> like the first two seasons or something like that. And it's just like, oh, yeah, I remember Tony. Uh, <laughs> I know a yeah, few people idea. who have watched, who did watch the show, but they like around our age, like they were pirating it. Like they were watching it on tour and stuff like that. And, yeah, I, you know, yeah, I remember hearing about um because like this is like back in the blockbuster era, like how they would have like the DVDs and individual like you could rent the season, but you had to like rent like four discs for it. And sometimes like. The second disc would be gone, but like the fourth disc would be there. So they would like watch the show out of order and like see like just chaos. the last four episodes of a season of the season two or something like that. And they have to go back and watch like episodes like three through through six or something because that DVD finally became available later, which I find to be fascinating. But, you know, that's just I feel like that's well, kind of like a time capsule. Just, yeah. 
You just had to head over to the local uh, Barnes and Noble, head over to the DVD section, and get Sopranos season seven on DVD. And then you just get the whole thing, and then you pay it right there, and you use your Visa or Mastercard. They accept both. That's my yeah. old timey voice. Sure. What happened to Grandma Charades? Was, does she have an opinion on Sopranos? Grandma Charades. She didn't watch The Sopranos. No. That's not a Christian show. Sure. I'm anyway. shocked at you, at Will Ashton. But you had some more to say about Sopranos before I could talk about. It? Well, I think I covered. I mean, I, I, I like I said before, I watched The Many Saints of Newark. This, which is a prequel, it takes place in the 1960s and early 1970s. Yeah. I didn't know what was going on. Like, I have cultural osmosis. Like, I know who Tony Soprano is. I yeah. actually told you I watched this. I watched the finale back in the day because I was curious, and I was like 17. Yeah, everyone saw the last scene. I don't know if everyone fully understood it. Well, I read the theories and I was like, oh, okay, I bet that's what happened. Like, I don't know. I, I, I mm-hmm. kind of have that in my head. And as you know, I've been watching the first season because, like, that is one thing that this prequel movie does. I'm going to say it right off the bat. I don't think it's like an amazing movie at all. True. I actually think it's kind of underwhelming in a lot of respects. As like something that I didn't know what was going on, but it did get me curious i was like i this works as a like hey i've never seen the sopranos before you watch this and you're like oh okay so this is setting up a bunch of stuff i should probably watch the show because the show's supposed to be amazing way better than Mm -hmm. this and it'll answer a lot of questions i have so good marketing i guess if, if you didn't already have an hbo max account yeah i mean that's what i find kind of fascinating about folks who are watching this cold is that like if someone were to not have watched the sopranos and see this film I, I I mean, you could. I mean, it doesn't, you know, like you it's can't so watch weird. this without seeing The Sopranos. But for one, without giving away, there is a big spoiler for the show in the first uh, two scenes of the film over the narration. Yeah. So and you don't uh, even know for sure that it's a big spoiler, but you're sort of like that feels like a swear. Like that feels like something that wouldn't happen until like late in the show. Yeah. And it would be a big deal. And I was like, oh. Okay. And I'll tell you, Will, like, I'm not upset about it because I'm just like, it's kind of fascinating to watch the show from that perspective now of like, I know what's going to happen. And so like, there is something kind of cool about that because it's unique. Like I get to watch it from a different perspective from people who watched it when it was coming out or you because you weren't spoiled on it. And it's just this sort of like foreboding almost, you know what I mean? Sure. But I mean, at the same time, I I wonder what it's like watching this film without seeing the show like yeah watching the film without seeing the show because like i don't know how you feel about these characters like how what's your response to like johnny boy what's your response to junior what's your response to like livia like i, I don't know like how yeah. you would respond to these characters like not knowing not having the baggage of knowing who they become or who they are in the show and just like uh the movie doesn't really feed you a lot of information about them if you were to be a fresh viewer uh that's why i'm kind of curious to hear your opinion about this this film and how you like take these characters at this point. My opinion is it's not a movie. It's like a weird companion piece. Like this isn't a movie. Like you can't watch this by itself and then like expect to, there's way too much intertextuality. Like you can't, like there are moments in this movie where you're just like, Oh man, that's uncle junior for you. You know what I mean? Like, and I think like I've, I've kind of looked into it cause I've been so curious about like what went into this movie and like how it came about and like why it is the way it is. And a lot of it from what I can tell is that it was cut down severely. I think Which that, makes sense. you know, they probably, I think David Chase, I, I think he probably wanted to do something with this that was a little bit more, you know, expansive. 
And yeah. apparently he always wanted this to be a movie, but he pitched it originally as a series, knowing they would deny it. Like it was going to be like a limited series. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll make a few episodes. It'll be like a precursor to Sopranos. And apparently HBO was like, nah. But then HBO was like, well, what if you just did like a movie version of it? And that's what he did. Well, that's the thing is like when you make a movie, you have to cut way too much stuff out. And that's what this movie feels like. Was that HBO or was that Warner Brothers? Uh, I don't know for sure. I, I I was reading about it in one of the trades, and I think it yeah. was I think it was HBO. It could be Warner Brothers, though. I don't know for sure. Okay, because I had heard that Warner somebody from like a Warner Brothers executive uh, like kept trying to get him to do something, and mm-hmm. he was like, "Well, I really want to tell the story of the Newark uh, race riots. Like that's a, that's something from my past that yeah, I found really true. interesting. It's something I want to explore because I mean, the show itself. I mean, it's about a bunch of things, but." The show was a big, a big part of it was Tony Soprano or Tony Soprano, uh, David Chase working through his relationship with his own mother. Uh, Tony Soprano's relationship with his mother, Olivia, is like a huge part of the show, uh, especially the psychoanalyst, the therapist aspect. And then, yeah, uh, definitely getting it, that vibe so far. I, I, I should tell listeners I'm six episodes in. Yeah. Um, and the his follow up film, Not Fade Away, is another kind of nostalgic film in this vein, which I revisited probably have seen this because I was kind of curious how they'd be of a companion with one another. And that's like a kind of semi-autobiographical film that explores, from what I can tell, David Chase's relationship with his father. And so I think he kind of, he, he said what he had to say about his mother. He had to say what he had to say about his father. And now we get May Saints in Newark. And I kind of feel like David his Chase uncle. was, tr- <laughs> well, no, what well, you could argue that with Junior, but, um, I, I, well, kind no, of, I was saying, well, well Dickie Moltisanti, right? He the uncle. Like, that's the real uncle of Tony yeah. Soprano. Is well, that that's, point? that's where I think my biggest issue with the film comes is that, like, I think David Chase had something to say with this film. I think he has a lot to say, but I don't think he has a cohesive idea of what he wanted to say, like, what he meant the main takeaway of the film to be. I would because agree with that. Because yeah. if this is about Dickie Moltisanti, I don't feel like I know any more about Dickie Melsanti than what I've heard from the legends and the stories Agreed. that we get in The Sopranos. Well, I think I was... Get, well, okay, I don't agree because... <laughs> well, sorry, I said I agreed, but I, in the sense of like... I, I thought you were going to finish that sentence with like, you don't know more about him from the beginning to the end. Like that is that is like the the essence of this movie is like, you start with this character in the very beginning, by the end, I'm just like, I don't know anything about this guy. Well, that's... Like, yeah, because that's... Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean... Dickie Melsanti is not shown in the series of Sopranos, but he's mentioned a lot, especially as far as like Christopher's upbringing and Tony as the character he often references with like like a pang of nostalgia with like some like guilt, his relationship with um, Dickie Melsanti, how they were very close. Uh, I would evoke it kind of similar to um, like the way that um, Obi-Wan Kenobi kind of talks about um, Anakin, like kind of like, like he was an old friend, you know, like kind of like right. that thing. Or how like my son and is like very close to you, Will Ashton. You're like his uncle. Sure. You know, you taught him how to get into those yeah. illegal gambling rings. But yeah, but but like uh, I think the big allure of the film, I mean, the marketing makes it out to be like, see the rise of Tony Soprano. And like I, I knew from like the get go, it's like, no, this is the story of Dickie Melsanti. Like, well, this is I didn't how- know that. I didn't know that at all. I watched the movie and I was just like, okay, this is about Tony Soprano. His son plays him. You know, the son of James Gandolfini, Michael Gandolfini, plays a teenage Tony Soprano. He doesn't show up to like way past halfway. Halfway through, yeah. And like the movie ends up being about Dickie Moltisanti. And so you got to imagine like if you don't know anything about this like universe, I'm just like, what am I watching? Who is this guy? 
but I think that's fine. Like I'm, I'm okay with that. I think if anything, David Chase doesn't really want to talk about Tony Soprano because he said everything he has to say about Tony Soprano in the show. I'd have to assume. Fair enough, but isn't the whole point of the movie of like who made Tony Soprano? Right, and so but, digging into Dickie. But so, yeah, but what I'm trying to say is that like I feel like the movie gets so crowded with you know uh, talking about the race riots, exploring Leslie Odom's character, bringing in the other Soprano characters outside of Tony and Livia, including like Silvio and Polly and Big Pussy and all these other characters. I mean, that makes sense. Like, I think yeah. you got to have to include those guys. Right. Like, yeah. To an but extent. Like, yeah. yeah. But it's like three films competing at once then. Okay. And it's like, because of that, I feel like the Dickie Malsanti stuff often gets overshadowed to a point where I think like the last scene in this movie is really cool. And I think that if it had earned that moment a little bit more, I think it would have been a really big, oh, impactful yeah. moment for both totally the movie agree. and the show. Yeah. But um, I just feel like I still don't really walk away from this movie having a full concrete idea of who, uh, yeah, Dickie Melsanti was outside of like kind of like the generalities of just like, yeah, he was, you know, a, a stubborn. He was a mean son of a bitch. Like, what are yeah, you going to yeah, say about him? Yeah. I mean, he was another gangster kind of guy. Like, that's my thing with this movie is just like, what's different about it? Like, you haven't seen Goodfellas. I know you know a lot about Goodfellas from like just the culture, but like, what what do I get from this movie that I haven't seen a million times? Especially like watching Sopranos. I like Sopranos so far because it's kind of like a modern version of those movies. And it feels like a reaction to Godfather and Goodfellas and Casino. And like, you know, to a lesser extent, some of the other Martin Scorsese films. They reference yes, a lot of Martin Scorsese, right? It's an evolution of that story. Exactly. It's metatextual. It's sort of like we understand that that stuff exists. And this is what the mafia is like. And reaction to it because like what a lot of people don't understand about mafia movies is that especially the godfather sort of really just established this mythology around the italian mafia that did not really exist it's so weird because it's one of those cases yeah mm-hmm. and italian americans as well i'd say to an extent i mean i was going to be even more specific than that and say that like before the godfather there wasn't really this sense of like the italian families and the mafia having this like code of like this legendary status of like you don't rat or any of this stuff right that stuff really came about through that movie Mm -hmm. especially through like goodfellas and stuff right yeah i mean like you get like like capone and like the public enemy and like you know like kind of like these like legendary gangsters who are like you know like rob banks and like have like these kind of like romanticized stories, but like they're filled with, you know, obviously criminality and like applicable behavior and all this stuff. But yeah, I mean, The Godfather brought that to kind of more like expanded, uh, you know, like kind of like grandiose terms, like kind of brought like, like a fuller life. It. Yeah, glamorized it, but also like brought more humanity to it. Like it explored like the like lives and struggle and it had like a genuinely epic grand feel to it. Mm-hmm. And it then an opera. With- yeah, but then like with Mean Streets and Goodfellas and um, Scorsese's, you know, a lot of Scorsese's filmography, uh, we get, you know, like kind of a, the modernized version of that where like we get the criminal behavior, but it's done in more kind of like blunt fashion, but also like still keeping that epic feel, but having like have a more sort of like uh, awareness of like how like applicable these characters are, how much they're like, you know, ruining society, like, an ill yeah. to themselves and all this stuff. And like you said, The Sopranos is, like, exploring that even more to the point where it's just, like, America as a whole is, like, just kind of 
gotten rotten at this point where even like gangsters can't really like are kind of like caught up in it and just like yeah, like yeah. kind of taken aback by it and just being like you know like even we're kind of struggling to make sense of what the world is at this point um and yeah i mean the weird thing about mason to newark is that like obviously the sopranos the show one of the big things about it as far as influence that it, it brought a cinematic feel to television uh not that other shows weren't cinematic but i think this is like one of the main reasons why so many shows like mad men and breaking bad could be so the take to make risk and be so cinematic in their presentations because sopranos allowed itself to do that ironically when it finally gets a chance to be in cinemas it has kind of a more television type feel <laughs> So it kind of feels like it's huh. counterintuitive to itself almost. And that's, I think, kind of one of the bigger issues with this film. I mean, my show, as a lot of people know, is Mad Men. I mean, I, I love that show. Like, that was the show that I came into at the right time. And I I would hate a prequel for Mad Men. I, I really would. And I don't think it would lend itself as easily to Mad Men, because especially because if you watch that show, I mean, it already has so many flashbacks. It's not like Sopranos, where I think it, really would fit that anyway. But I mean, that's the thing is like Mad Men as it is, is complete. It's a story. It's, it has a beginning, middle end. It, it just end it. Like there's nothing else that needs to be said. Matthew Weiner said it all. And I'm so weirded out by this movie because it just sort of is like, to me when I'm, especially now that I'm watching the Sopranos and I'm like, Oh wow. Like this is a show that really understands Goodfellas. It really understands the effect that those movies had mm-hmm. on American society at large. And also, like, in addition to that, specifically, like Italian Americans who are in the shadow of the mob or in the mob itself or completely removed from the mob. And what that sort of like mythology lends to like people just living their everyday lives wherever they are. And so it's weird to me that this movie goes back in time and it picks Dickie Moltisanti as this like stock character who looks like christian bale to me like the entire time i'm just like uh this guy looks um, like christian bale and he has like all of these scenes with like like ray liotta has this like weird well, soap opera twin thing going on i think oh, I his like initial good. his initial okay. character yeah. i think is so broad and so boring it's sure like, i've seen this a million times okay here's the italian mobster he has a gumar like he cheats you on his wife, like, and he's a gangster. Like, oh my God, I'm sick of this. Like, I'm so sick of it. But then the one thing about this movie that I was just like, oh, give me more of this is like the Ray Liotta character that comes in. He's in prison. He's mm-hmm. been in prison for years and he just calls it like he sees it. Like that yeah. to me, that had pangs of like the Irishman to me of like, okay, yeah. here we go. This is like new, fresh different like this feels like a reason to be here and then it ends as quickly as it begins yeah i mean i think those scenes are some of the best in the film um to kind of go off of that point yeah but i think like we said before i think one of the reasons why sopranos like we said there's a bunch of reasons why the show became great and why it was so well claimed but i think one of the big reasons that it had the freedom to feel very lived in and feel novelistic in a way where characters could often just be sitting around and talking about either, you know, big, grandiose, uh, therapeutic type stuff or just kind of bullshitting about any random thing that's going on day to day, pop culture, what have you. Um, and I think the show or sorry, the movie is so caught up trying to do so many things at once that can't really achieve that. And I like I said, I think the moments that stand out to me are when it actually has a little bit more breathing room to actually 
uh, have like kind of those conversational tone moments that that stand out so much in the show. And I think those moments are unfortunately few and far between. Likewise, I feel like one of the big things I love about Sopranos is that has often a sort of uh, dreamlike and cerebral quality to it that I think largely speaking is not in this film at all. Like there's one thing involving like, yeah, well, not even that so much, but like, um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say this, but um, like there's like a thing that's introduced like with like Dickie Melsanti coaching like blind kid baseball players that I don't quite understand <laughs> the point of, but it has like this kind of like, well, he's almost like weird. Saint, right. Right. But like, the movie is all about kinda, like he was a saint right. and you know what I mean? It was like, well, okay. Well, see, I took that as kind of like has like this, like it's so kind of random and so off kilter and not really addressed by any other characters. Sequence. I didn't think I didn't think it was real. Right. Well, that's what I mean. Like that scene, like how it's shot has like kind of dreamlike quality or like a romanticized quality to it that I found to be closer to like kind of like the more cerebral stuff in the show. And I was wondering if if an, uh, a bolder movie of this, maybe one that David Chase actually got a chance to direct, would be more willing to put stuff in, like that in the film. And I found that like the lack of that stuff and also like the, the end scene also kind of pushes a little bit towards the cerebral as well, I guess, but uh, okay. very slightly. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's also something I found to be kind of missing with this film. But um, I'll let you keep talking. But I do actually want to kind of talk about the things I like about the film at one point. If we of can. course, of course. I, I mean, like, it's it's hard because I, I mean, the nice thing I'll say about this is like you watch it and it's like it's serviceable. Like, it's like I watch this. It's not like I watch this movie and I'm just like this sucks. Like, no, I mean, it's fine. It's just there's nothing about it that sticks out to me. I, I think like all the Leslie Odom Jr. stuff, there's this whole thing with his character that by my estimation, goes nowhere. And this is one of those movies where like you meet all these characters and you're like, I feel like this would mean something to me if I had watched the show. But as it stands, like, okay, I don't know why John McGarrow was playing this character with a hairpiece. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like Billy Magnuson is this like Silvio character. And like, I understand no, 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 now no, no, that you're, I've you're watched- getting, uh, You're getting mixed up. Um, Billy Magnuson Billy Ma- is Polly is, Walnuts. Uh, Polly. Sorry, and sorry. John McGarrow uh, John Ma- is, Silvio. is Silvio. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. But I, again, I'm still watching the show for the first time. Um, but I'm just kind of watching Like the only character that I thought like kind of just worked for me and like kind of made sense to me was Vera Farmiga as Livia, the mother. Yeah. And I was which... just sort of like, oh, OK, I understand this character. I get where she's coming from. Like that stuff all worked. But a lot of the other characters like John Bernthal plays his dad, Tony Soprano's dad. And I was just like. Like, what's this guy's deal? Like, I, I didn't right. know. I didn't understand it. Corey Stoll plays Uncle Junior. And like, there's all this stuff happens with Uncle Junior. And I was so thrown off because like, if you haven't watched the show, you're just like, well, why? Like, what's his problem? I don't get it. But now yeah. I'm watching the show and I'm just like, oh, okay. This guy is just like, he sucks. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, if it makes any sense. Like, this movie just has all this extra stuff with this, like, this mitch- mistress that's also a stepmom. And I'm just like, what's the point? Like, like I don't Mario. know. Like, I'm just kind of thrown off. But like, I'm, I'm watching it. It's not bad. Like, the performances aren't bad. This is directed by Alan Taylor. Mm-hmm. I mean, Alan Taylor, TV-wise is a legendary director. I mean, he's directed episodes for TV shows f- across the board. I mean, this guy's directed for The West Wing. He's mm-hmm. directed for Lost. He, of course, directed for The Sopranos, yes. Six Feet Under, uh, Sex in the City. He directed uh, one of my favorite Mad Men episodes. Um, he directed mm-hmm. one of the best Game of Thrones episodes. Uh, he He's done so much good stuff over his career. A lot yeah. of people look at him, like, filmography-wise, and they're just like, oh, yeah, that guy who directed Thor, the Dark World, 
pass like because thor the dark world is considered by many to be a pretty bad movie he also directed terminator genesis right he directed yes. that right yeah he did um yeah. yeah so not not a great run for alan taylor and i, I don't i don't understand it will ashton like he's directed amazing television his three movies i'm just like ah okay i think he also directed like an indie called pokeville or something that's supposed to be pretty good like france oh i don't know about stuff. that but in any okay. case, um, also San Francisco alum. So yeah, I give him that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, to his credit, I, he is pretty integral to, um, the show. I don't think he's directed like the most episodes of Sopranos or anything, but he has directed a lot of episodes, especially towards the second half of the show. He, for instance, he directed the second to last episode, the penultimate episode of Sopranos. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I have to assume it's kind of because of his blockbuster influence that he got picked for this project but yeah i mean i think he obviously he gives it the like kind of nostalgic lean that i think the kind of like romanticized big budget feel that i think they're going for at least as from like a warner brothers standpoint but i do like i said wonder what the david chase directed version of this film would be the one that would be i have to assume more willing to take risk as opposed to offering kind of just blank fan service uh, like kind of like just nods and winks to the shows that feels really like beneath Sopranos. Like that, that that's the stuff about the film that I find most puzzling. I don't know if that was uh, Warner Brothers or Alan Tater, Taylor's uh, influence. Like I, I have to assume David Chase wasn't like jazzed about doing a bunch of like nods and winks to the show or his past work. That seems like just characteristically not something he's a fan of. Um, but um, I don't know. If, I, I don't know that for certain, but. Yeah, I mean, I think there are definitely moments of film where as far as like the blockbusteriness of it, I, I appreciate. For instance, there's a big shootout scene that I think is really cool uh, midway through the film that I think Alan Taylor does a really nice job as directing and shooting. Um, but at the same time, like I said, I think from a, a pacing standpoint, just juggling these stories, he just doesn't quite capture uh, enough of the thematics I think would have made uh, the story as resonant as it is. Like you said, um, the Leslie Odom stuff, I think... He Leslie Odom gives a great performance, but I don't think his character gives enough time is given enough time to really be fleshed out, especially in the later half of the film. Yeah, when he's missing he, some scenes or something like th there's something yeah. about his character that I think is just like not getting communicated that I think it would be really important. Yeah. And I'm wondering because this is I don't think it's going to happen, but this is supposed to be a first part of a film trilogy for like. Well, Sopranos they talked about it. Yeah. Being a spinoff that they would eventually do based on this. And I don't know. I mean, I'd be I'd certainly be interested to see it. Like I said, I think he, Leslie Odom's really good in this. Um, but as far as like the Soprano stuff that you were mentioning, um, I think Vera Farmiga is really good. I mean, sometimes it's a bit much, uh, especially with the prosthetics, but I really appreciate that she has kind of like an Oedipus complex going on where she looks like <laughs> both like Livia and uh, Carmela. And like, there's like kind of like an interesting thing going on there, but I don't think there's. Oh, I wasn't even thinking of that. I thought you just meant something else, but yeah, go ahead. Oh, um, <laughs> by the way, I didn't even realize she was supposed to be Tony Soprano's mom until like way late into the movie because they don't oh, explain. Really? Like, that is one thing I'll give this movie credit. It doesn't hold your hand. Like, there's something kind of realistic about how, like, they don't do a lot of those annoying things where you're, like, at a party and it's just like, this is Silvio. Right. And it's, like, really, like, making a show of it. It's like, you you kind of have to work for it, which I, yeah. I, yeah, I'll give the movie a little bit of credit. Like, they knew what they were doing. On that yeah, but respect. at the same time, the, uh, the timeline of The Sopranos gets really funky with this movie because, like, for instance, Silvio, in the show, it's implied that he's, like, maybe, like, five years Tony Sr., I was uh, confused you know, about that a little bit. Yeah, I was like, and, wait. 
and now he's like what like i don't know like 15 years older i guess or uh, something i was thinking about this and like maybe 10 that's what i was th- that's where i landed but you know I, there's also something you know on that note there's something kind of generationally interesting about this movie because it's like oh this is like a prequel to a show and it's hard for me to sort of wrap my head around well this is a show that came out like 1999 so yeah. like it makes sense for the main character to be like a kid in the 60s when i think of like kids in the 60s i don't think of like shows where the main character you know what i'm saying it's just like right the, well, the timeline of it of it now is like kind of yeah. weird the way it all like lands for modern audiences right i mean it's also kind of weird because like tony and carmela they look older than they are like they're actually both in like their 30s i think when the show starts so um, i wouldn't it, say that i thought they were i'm watching sopranos and i'm, I'm like these people are in their early 40s easy no, no, no. I mean, like James Gandolfini was in his 30s when he filmed the show and, and canonically like Is in the really? show, like they, they yeah, he, he's supposed to be like, I think like 38 or so. Well, I mean, I would imagine he would have had Meadow. He's like, 47 when the show ends. Huh? The character, at least. And I, it's supposed to take place over I like a decade. I wouldn't have said 38. Well, OK, I would have said 40, 41. But that's interesting. I mean, there is something kind of interesting with Mad Men in that respect, because Don Draper is supposed to be like 35 in the first sure. season of Mad Men. And you're just like, this man's 42. Well, you know I, mean? I mean, like you ever like look at like pictures of like your like grandparents or something. And they, it's like, like yeah. they look like they're like so 45 like when that. they're like 32 yeah. or whatever. And it's just, I don't know. I mean, something must have been something in the air or something. They, they look know. older. I don't know. We don't. We don't. I will actually not sell to say for our for our HBO <laughs> special. You and I are not going to look our age. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think as far as like the like, quote unquote, like the impressions of the the film, uh, I think Vera Farmiga is doing a lot of interesting stuff, but Livia isn't really given a lot to do, which I find very bizarre. Um, She's kind of like, like yeah, said, a side really, character. Yeah. But like, yeah, Tony's not really given as much of a, the showcase here. I, I think Michael Gandolfini is like the big question here as far as like, is he because he has the most to prove here, I guess, as far as like living up to his dad's impression or performance, but also just also like just a great um, job. I, I, I think he's impressed. good. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. he's I don't think he's quite as charismatic as James Gandolfini, but he's also obviously younger. Well, he's playing uh, a teenager. Also, you know what I mean? He's yeah. not sure of himself, which kind of makes yeah. sense for it. Yeah. But also, I, I really appreciate how much he brings that like kind of boyishness um, to screen like. Tony Soprano as a character is often like an outgrown teenager throughout the series. And I think like kind of actually seeing Tony as a boy, I like that we see, um, you know, like that kind of youthful energy and like kind of like that, that rambunctiousness, that, that desire to prove himself. But also at the same time, we see a different, like more sensitive side to Tony Soprano where we see like kind of his, uh, his like gentle yearning and all this stuff. But it, it, I think it feels a piece with the show, but also I think kind of undermines like what other actors are doing. Like you said, John Magaro, I think is a, a fine actor. He did great work in first cow last year. I generally don't know what yeah. he's trying to do as Silvio in this movie. Um, it, it was clownish. What, what yeah. the heck was, it was so broad. Like I said, it was just like, well, I didn't understand the movie that I was watching. Yeah. I was like, does this make more sense if you watch the show? I don't know. I mean, it's it's weird because like it's like David Chase forgot that like Polly's supposed to be the funny one. He's like yeah, the funny one, Silvio. It's like no, no, Polly's the funny one. It's like yeah, Silvio, and so like he, like I, I think he like forgot that like Silvio's not supposed to be the comedic relief of the uh, the crew or something, or maybe because like he's younger, maybe he's like more foolish or something. I don't quite get it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think Corey Stoll of the like actors playing characters in the show, I think he gives the best 
performance. I think his junior really? is generally really, really impressive. Yes, Corey absolutely. Stoll? Corey Stoll, I think, yeah. I think the more you watch the show, the more you'll be impressed. Okay, all right. With, hey, uh, fair enough. With Junior's performance. I'll because keep watching because I thought that was one of the weakest things. I didn't understand that performance. Oh, no, I, was I, like, I thought I that was... It. No, I thought he was really, really good. Wow. Um, okay. And I think that scene towards the end with him paints the show in a new light in a way that I find really fascinating. Huh. Um, I mean, but, honestly, like, if yeah. I was going to give this show any, like, a war... Like, any sort of, like, man, this character really went above and beyond, I would give it to... Michael Gandolfini because sure look, yeah I, again I haven't seen the show but like knowing what I know like Gandolfini James Gandolfini died in 2013 yes. I mean it's sad you know like he died of a heart attack his own son discovered him yes. and there, there is something so wicked about his son just like coming into this world doing his thing I think he kills it you know and it's just like yeah. I can't imagine what that must have been like for him and yeah. I'm just like so impressed he's such a young dude yeah, he he grew up with the show. Like I think he was born around the time the show started. Like he was on yeah, set he was a young. lot and all that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the guy right now, I think he's only like twenty one, twenty two, and he's Something playing like, like a teenager. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Know. I I give him a lot of credit, a lot of yeah. props. That that's got to be tough to do, and I I think he does his dad proud. Yeah, no, I mean, I think he like I was trying to say before. I think he's the one that has the most to prove with this performance for sure. Like you know, at the end of the day, like. John McGarrow, like, no matter how we feel about Silvio, like, he'll still probably get work from this. It's not like it's going to, like, kill his career or anything. Michael Gandolfini is in, like, he's he's got the biggest shoes to fill. He has the most to prove. He's obviously, like, the center of the marketing, all that stuff. And I think he does, like, I mean, it's it's, you're never going to live up to um, James Gandolfini's performance. But I think, like you said, it doesn't, he moves beyond uh, impression and makes it, a fully well-rounded character in a way that I think even surpasses what's on the, on the page and in a way that I find uh, really impressive and really heartfelt. Mm-hmm. He's going to be in a couple more movies. He's in the next uh, Russo brothers movie, the uh, action movie, the gray man. Okay. Yeah. He was in cherry for a little bit. I remember. Yeah. He had a small role in cherry. He was at that cousin Joe or something. And then um, he's yeah, in one there's other actually, movie. Um, I don't know if you caught it. There's actually, I think a kind of a nod in cherry to the Sopranos where he's oh, like yeah, playing, I definitely didn't uh, catch that. <laughs> he's playing like Nintendo with one hand, which seems to be. Uh, uh, oh, I just saw uh, that scene. Yeah, his dad plays the yeah. Right. They're playing Mario Kart with one hand. That was funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's also going to be in the next uh, Ari Aster movie. I know that the disappointment movie. It's okay. disappointment something. I'd have to look it up, but um, he plays with uh, I think Joaquin Phoenix is the lead in that. Yes. Um, that's coming out. I think that's filming right now, so I think that might be coming. Yeah, out next or year, recently. Yeah, I was gonna say it either recently ended filming or it, it um it's still going. I don't quite know how the production was, but I yeah I, th- I think it, if it if it hasn't finished, it's gonna finish soon because it started in the summer and I think they might have yeah, I think they might still be working on a yeah. few scenes. But yeah, I mean that movie is one of my most anticipated. I mean that's a twenty four. Pavel uh, Porgoski is doing the cinematography. Oh, really? oh, oh I did yeah. not know that. Nathan yeah. Lane stars in that movie. Oh my gosh, okay. I'm so excited about it. Yeah, because that's like a three generation spanning film, right? Like it's like a like a like a long yeah. epic. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it spans a few decades. Um, and uh, I, I don't think Michael Gandolfini has a huge role in it, but um, you know, I think like the main thing is like Patty Lapone and Joaquin Phoenix and all them. But yeah, no, I mean, I, but, he's going to be uh, in it, so I, yeah. power to him. I, I hope he's uh, he kicks ass in it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I also find it really fascinating that uh, this performance is coming so shortly before um, Cooper Hopman's performance in um, uh, Licorice Pizza. And, you know, it's another kind of similar situation where uh, 
Philip Seymour Hoffman's kid is like taking on this lead role, you know, like yeah. kind of proving himself with his dad. And they also kind of weirdly, I don't know if you've seen Cooper Hoffman and like Michael Gambini like together, but they also weirdly look kind of similar. And I'm curious if one day they'll like play brothers or something because they, I think that'd be an interesting thing to do. I guess that's it. I mean, I, I think we covered it. I mean, my main thing on and before we get into our game, I don't recommend watching this if you've never watched the show. But if you do watch it and you've never seen a show, you might be like me and you might be like, well, I'm confused. I'll watch the show now. But at the same time, like, you probably don't want to get spoiled, I guess. Like, I guess just just watch The Sopranos. I like The Sopranos way more than this movie. So I would have probably preferred the other way around. But um, yeah, I mean, I imagine, Will, you probably are like, like, it sounds to me like this is like we're checking out. If you're a fan of The Sopranos, why not? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think I'm more endeared to the film as a mid-budget studio film for adults than as a prequel or a film of peace with the Sopranos, because mm-hmm. I think it was always it was always going to be a letdown as far as like being a continuation to Sopranos. I think like there's just no way they could have lived up to that uh, pedigree. But I think as a Warner Brothers film that's clearly made for adults, like featuring adult characters for the most part, um, you know, I think that's that's where it's probably at its most engaging and, and where I'm, I'm more endeared by it. Uh, as a continuation of Sopranos, like I said, I just think it's it's fine. Like it's it's what I expected, I guess. Like it's it's nothing uh, terribly interesting, and I don't think it really adds a whole lot to the mythos of Sopranos. But I do think I'll, I'll either be more or less endeared with it as I think about it more, because I do think it's interesting that uh, Christopher narrates it, and like he is a. I've I've heard theories that like this movie is kind of like him, like if, if like. Christopher finally got the chance to like, kind of write his screenplay and make a movie about his dad, what it would be. And I, I think that's an interesting thing. I don't know if that's what uh, David Chase had in mind, but I, I certainly think there's probably more going on here than we're giving him credit. And I would hope uh, if time, as time passes, that like we kind of like, you know, like that, that, that uh, interpretation opens up and we finally kind of get a better idea of what's going on here. Same way that people have grown to like the, the series finale of Sopranos more over time, but I don't know if that's the case here or not, because uh, like we said, I think the text here is unfortunately a bit thin and it just feels like it's an overcrowded film that uh, is obviously very ambitious, but it's trying to do so much with such a limited amount of time. And it's, you know, kind of uh, buried in the shadow of this uh, obviously monumental series. And it just was kind of doomed to fail for that reason. All right. Well, I guess this is one of those weeks where you and I basically agree on all the movies. I mean, just two, but hey. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. I think I'm slightly more positive on um, on many scenes, but overall, I think we're we're pretty similar. It's, yeah, same zone, close enough. Horseshoes. Uh, all right, well, Ashley, what do you think the Rotten Tomato score of Many Saints of Newark is? If you had to guess, uh, I'm gonna say seventy two percent. Man, you're always so close. Seventy five percent. Okay, that's impressive, though. I mean, yeah, we're within the margin of error. Uh, 154 reviews have been counted so far. That's going to keep climbing, I'm sure. The audience score, though, what do you think of that? Oh, I think this is kind of low because I'm hearing a lot of uh, mixed negative things from fans so far. And I think fans are primarily the people who have watched the film. So I'm going to say I'll go a little bit higher than what my gut say. I'm going to say 61%. All right, 58%. 58%. Again, okay. you're still within the margin of error, so I'm I'm proud of you. Uh, 58% audience score. I think, yeah, probably for the reasons you're citing and 250 plus verified ratings. So 
very low compar- comparatively. Um, and then we'll finish off with cinema score. What, what do you think of that? Uh, for this film, I'm going to say B minus. Again, pretty close. C plus. So C a little plus, bit okay. lower. And uh, I think we can imagine why. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I do think all the reasons we kind of gave. I think people are just kind of reacting to this the way they're going to react. I, I, I don't know. I don't I don't make much of it personally. Um, I, I watched it and I, I have plenty of complaints. But like, I don't know, like I wouldn't watch I wouldn't walk away from it being like, what a waste of time. It's it's egregiously bad. It's like, no, nah, I just, you know, it's, it's got its own thing kind of going on. You either click with it or you don't. There's things about it. And I mean, you know, that's that's all there is. Yeah. I mean, so I think some of it's pretty sophisticated and thoughtful, and I think some of it's kind of flat and underwhelming. So yeah. it's a bit of a mixed bag, I think, overall. Definitely a mixed bag. Now, this coming weekend, we are going to be covering Titan. That is the new film from Julia Ducanau. I don't know how to pronounce her name correctly. Yeah, the French director. Was, yeah. <laughs> she directed Raw, which was one of Will's favorite movies from a couple years ago. A movie that yes, I didn't love, five. but I definitely respect. I think it's a good movie. And yeah, we both have seen, or I've seen Titan. You're going to watch it this week. We're going to talk about it on mm-hmm. uh, a later date. We're, we're hoping to have a great guest on. It's going to be a whole yeah. thing. Um, but we won't be talking about No Time to Die. We already have that episode in the works. Uh, there are yeah. a few things hitting, hitting limited release this weekend, which we're not planning to talk about until maybe next weekend. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, there's the new A24 movie, Lamb with Numi Rapace. There mm-hmm. is the um, film that premiered at South by Mass. Well, that was South by, right? Or was it Sundance? No, Sundance. Was it it Sundance? might have been okay. South by as well, but I, I definitely we saw it at Sundance. Yeah, and it also played at uh, New York Film Festival, I think, because I've been hearing people kind of like, you know, chattering yeah, that, about it again. That makes a lot uh, of sense. Mass, yeah, that's the big, that's a big showcase movie there too. Mm-hmm. So both of those movies are going to be hitting limited release. Um, I mean, Muppets Haunted Mansion, and we can't forget about that. Is it's that a feature or is that like a streaming? Story? I think it's a feature. I okay. could be wrong, but I think I think it, uh, yeah, it's gonna be hitting Disney Plus. So we, we got a bunch of stuff in the works. Uh, if you have a specific request, if you're like, well, guys, you got to talk about this again. Our email is cinemaholicspodcast at gmail We'll do our best to anticipate what you all, the listeners, want to listen to. Uh, but I mean, with Mass, we already watched that, so that's basically in the bag. Lamb, hoping to see it, uh, but it, it's tough. I think we we have a pretty busy weekend coming ahead of us. We'll do our best. And I'm so excited to talk about Titan with Will. Will, I I genuinely, I don't say this a lot. I have no idea where you're going to land on this movie. Like, I have a guess. I have an educated guess, and I'm sticking okay. by my prediction. But I genuinely think this could go either way. We're talking like this could go from F to A plus, And I wouldn't be yeah. surprised at any of those grades. I would be, I would be more surprised if it was... If it was lower than a, a C, I, I mean, I, it, given how much I liked Raw, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it will be that high in my estimation, but I imagine I'm gonna at least appreciate and like what the movie's going for. Let's find out. Yeah, we're gonna find out later this week. We're gonna have a great conversation, hopefully, and uh, that's it for us this week. So, from the internet, California, I'm John Negroni, and from the internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. See you next time.